You can go ahead and join me in today's scripture reading from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. We are back into this uh, Ephesian series, uh, taking a little bit over a month since we uh, stopped a little bit for our Easter sermon series. And so today it's just going to be more of an introduction into spiritual warfare, this topic of spiritual warfare. And um, over the next several months, we'll we'll look in deeper into each piece of these 10 verses. But today is just kind of an overview. Um, you'll notice this word finally in verse 10, and we are starting to begin the descent of Paul's letter. He's starting to wrap things up as with this word finally tells us. And, and this word finally is telling us to, to consider what he has already written in the letter. Right? That there is this final consideration, this final application to what has already been Written And what the Apostle Paul wants us to finally look at is our enemy. Now some may think of the devil or demons or spiritual darkness as some sort of myth or fable, um, some fiction, fantasy thing, and it's not. It's very real that evil is not merely scientific, evil is not merely biochemical, that when we look at evil, we, we tend to look at dictators or tyrants or specific people, which there have been definitely evil people in our world. But the collapse of civilization doesn't happen at the hand of a a singular person. That when we look at the Roman Empire civilization, one of the most powerful ever to exist in the entire history of the world, that it wasn't just because of the Roman emperor that the civilization collapsed that there is a a greater evil at work that is deadlier than just a singular human tyrant, that there is this greater darkness that brings about chaos, that brings about these deadlier events where everything in society falls apart. And we look at an example such as World War II. It's not a singular person, even though you look at someone like Hitler or you look at someone like Stalin 
But it's not a singular person, that that evil was much more than these two evil men that killed 65 million people. And we look, can look at ourselves even, that we dropped a nuclear bomb on a country, never to have happened before, and hopefully never again. But it's not a singular evil. And so when we look at verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And as a reminder, you've heard this many times, this letter is written to believers in Christ. Now you look back to chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Because if you mention these spiritual matters to somebody outside of Christ, you may get some strange looks. Maybe not so much around the lake because everyone's kind of strange. But <laughs> Me included. I'm part of this thing. So, But this realm where, where spiritual battles are fought is not strange to a believer. And Jesus instructed us to pray this way in his model prayer, a prayer that is very well-known and very uh, commonly prayed with those in Christian circles, the, the Lord's Prayer. In chapter 6, verse 13 of Matthew, it reads, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now that phrase, deliver us from evil, is also translated, deliver us from the evil one. So there's this acknowledgement from Jesus that there is an evil one. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. What faith was Peter writing about here in verse 9? He's writing about faith in Jesus Christ, that our faith in Jesus Christ opens our eyes to what is really happening spiritually, that what happens in the spiritual realm influences every part of our lives, so that in Ephesians chapter 5, when we looked at marriage, when we looked at family, when we looked at work, it's in every context of our life that this spiritual warfare is taking place. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, Paul instructs believers to give no opportunity to the devil. And one of the ways we give opportunity to the devil is to be naive about these things or in denial about these things, to think that you are not a target. Have you ever thought about why marriage can be so difficult? Have you ever thought about why your kids are so challenging? Why is work so grueling? And it's true that some people don't need the devil's help because their sinful selves can just do it all. They, they don't need any help. They, they do it all themselves. That the devil didn't make them do it, that they did it themselves. But as a Christian, we know that evil things happen to really good people. And that there are these very dark, evil, demonic 
intelligent spiritual forces that are seeking to weaken, to destabilize, to cause chaos in our most important relationships, as Paul has written about in chapter 5, in our marriages, in our families, in our work. One of my daughter's friends was on the phone with her, and he knows I'm a pastor. I think this kid's interested in my kid. And my wife was like, I don't know about that kid. And I was like, you need to pray for me more than that kid. I might be an older middle-aged guy, but I can still take him. But he asked her to ask me this question. And he said, can you ask your dad, the pastor, this? If God is real, why is there so much evil in the world? Why is there so much pain? Why is there so much suffering? Like if if God's this good God, can't he just kind of wipe all that stuff off? That is a really great question. And I don't know how many times I've answered this question. But it's a great question. And one that I expect a 16-year-old to ask. Like, that's a great question. And the fact that there is evil, that there is pain, that there is suffering in the world isn't proof that there is an absence of God. That is a proof that there is an existence of evil. And if there is a proof of an existence of an evil, for us, devil... It is obvious that there is something or someone that is holding back that evil from a total destruction, total chaos. Because if that was true that the evil was there, then what is holding them back from any good to make it completely disastrous or destructive or chaotic? So that is consequently leading us to a proof of an existence of a goodness, of a God, because there is a proof that there is an evil. That is being held back. Therefore, the existence of evil, pain, and suffering is proof that God exists. You understand? Then he starts to question me about my credentials anyway. (laughs) Did you do did you go to seminary? What degree do you have? Like, son, Jesus didn't go to seminary. Neither did the twelve disciples. I'm in good company. See, you and I aren't guaranteed these trouble-free lives at all. In fact, we're told we're going to experience troubles, hardships, difficulties, challenges. Take a look at John chapter 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Thank you so much, John, for recording what Jesus said. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, a warning not for us to fall into extremes about spiritual warfare because there are extremes. One extreme is that we think the devil is the one doing all the evil things in the world. And so we blame everything on the devil. The devil made me eat that cake. Like, uh... When I overeat, that's the devil. He's just like controlling my fork and like putting food in my mouth and that's why I have health issues. Um, I'm not, I'm talking to myself. So 
But no, that's more like shifting blame, right? That, that's shifting blame, and we need to take responsibility for our own actions, our own health, that we are still sinful and we still do these things. And so we need to take responsibilities for the ways that we you know, mistreat our bodies, whether it's overindulgence on food, drink, or poisoning our, our bodies with, with some other substance. Then there's this other extreme where we just completely are in denial. We are ignorant that the devil is at work. And it's actually that extreme, I think, that we lean toward in our church. That Jesus was attempted by Satan in Mark chapter 1, verse 13. So what makes us think that we, as a believer in Christ, following Christ, will be unscathed by Satan if Jesus himself was tempted by Satan? Now looking again at verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So wrestling flesh and blood, and you get to see who's in front of you when you're wrestling. They're right in front of you. You get to see your opponent, who you're going up against. You get to size them up. This is not often the case with the devil. You don't always get to see him. He's crafty. He stalks. He's whispering things to you, not telling you what he's going to do, and he starts implanting these things in your mind, and then he accuses you of having those thoughts when he actually planted them in your mind, and it wasn't even you. I highly recommend this book to you, Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. It's uh, really cleverly written about temptation within a Christian theology. And Lewis also writes about resistance. And it's a, it's a great book, highly recommend it. You can probably find it in our library. Just grab it there and, and borrow it. So how do we resist? And this is Ephesians chapter 6. And you look at verses 10, 11, 13, and 14, and it reads this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's all about being equipped in the Lord. In the Lord. Look at verse 10. Be strong in the Lord. And then standing in his might. We read these verbs of stand here multiple times. And the most important piece for us to understand is that it's not about us and how strong you and I are. It's all about our unity to Christ, being in Christ. We look back to the beginning of chapter 1 of Ephesians, and I, I won't read that entire chapter, but the majority of it is pointing out being in Christ. That out of those 23 verses in chapter 1, over half of those verses reference in Christ, in the Beloved, in Him, in the Lord Jesus, in the knowledge of Him. You can read that chapter all for yourself. Over half of those verses reference being in Christ. That in Christ is the only way 
to wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In Christ is the only way to be forewarned, for us to be cautious, alert, vigilant, and prepared for this very crafty, very powerful, audacious, unrelenting enemy who looks for any sign of weakness in you, any sign of apathy, any sign of fear to pounce on you until you die, until your last breath. We are to be equipped in the Lord. We are to stand in Christ. And if you try to stand outside of Christ or without Christ, you'll fail. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, it reads, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. It's only in Christ that there will be this victory. Now, last week we looked at Good Friday, we looked at Easter, just remembering back in that week. And it was at the cross where Jesus defeated Satan, that it was finished. But we're still here as pilgrims as aliens of this world fighting against the darkness of this world and against the dark spiritual powers until the return of Christ and we're fighting a murderer we are fighting a liar and those who follow him now in John chapter 8 verse 44 Jesus said you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and a father of lies. And so we need to put on this armor against the enemy. And Paul gives us these imperatives in verses 11 and 13. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. It's something that we are to do. It's an imperative. It's not something that someone else is going to do for us. That we are to armor up. It's not just taking different pieces that we want to put on ourselves. Paul says, both in verses 11 and 13, the whole armor of God. All of it. Now we're, again, this is just going to be a really, really quick intro, really quick overview. We're going to go into more detail of each of these verses in the following weeks. But let's, let's start with this belt of truth in verse 14. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. I don't know, when, when you guys think of things as like essentials, belt doesn't come up like the top one, right? Like it just doesn't, I, I forgot my belt. That's, I, I, I have to keep pulling out my pants. But you remember when you need it. And actually when you're looking at a soldier, this belt is a very essential piece. Why is this? Because everything else attaches to it. That, that's why it's so important, right? So if in the context of Paul, who was tied up to a Roman soldier and probably knows all, every piece of a Roman soldier's piece of equipment, it probably clicked in his head like, whoa, this is amazing. Look at this analogy. That 
this breastplate that this soldier is wearing is clipped onto his belt. Because otherwise, when he rides a horse or when he's marching, it kind of like gets out of place, but the belt actually holds it in place so that the protection is still there. And that belt rests on his hips. And so for those of you who backpack, when you clip on that belt, most of your weight is not on your shoulders, right? It's on your hips. It's resting on your hips for that heavy backpack. It's the same thing for a soldier. That soldier's sword is on that belt. That soldier clips on water or whatever else onto that belt. It holds everything in place. And so this truth of this gospel of ours is what is foundational for us. Everything else kind of clips onto it. Those other pieces of the armor, when engaging in a spiritual battle, it all clips onto our belt of truth, that we need to be settled, founded upon the word of God. Verse 14, continuing on, and having put on this breastplate of righteousness. This breastplate, it, it protects all of one's vital organs. And not much has changed today in our technology in terms of modern warfare with a soldier, right? With, in regards to belt, in regards to their vest or armor plating that they put this to protect their bodies, it's all pretty similar. And it's essential in, in terms of their gear, that it protects them. And Jesus Christ has pardoned us from our sins, and his work on the cross has given us the dignity to live righteously through him. That when God looks at us, he sees us as righteous because of Christ. That we need to recognize Christ and our righteousness through Christ. Verse 15, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We're not going to get very far without shoes. Right? especially if the terrain is difficult to cross, that you can't get yourself into a good strategic position or you can't be ready for action without shoes. And so we're to be ready with the gospel. Second Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Is that not happening? And will turn away from the listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Then verse 16, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now the shield spoken of here is actually quite large. Right? It's, it's three to three and a half feet tall. It's two to two and a half feet wide. And so the aim is so that the soldier could protect basically from shoulder to knee and the width of their body so that they can protect themselves. And the way that these shields were made is they'd take three sheets of wood, they'd glue them together, they'd cover them with canvas and with leather so that these so-called flaming darts that people would dip into pitch, light them and shoot at the Roman soldiers, that they can soak these things in water and so that it wouldn't catch fire on the wood because of the canvas and the leather and then they can like brush off the, the fire and the, and the arrow. And so this is the idea here, and, and then there would be like this metal boss on the outside so that the soldier can hold it, and it would protect their hand. It's like carrying a Dutch door. It's a big thing. 
And the Romans, sure, they had these shields to protect themselves individually, but they also had it to come together into formation to protect the group. And you've probably seen these movies where they're like, all look cool and everything, and the music's going on. They hit the thing, and they all, they become like a turtle shell or something. That's essentially kind of the picture. And the picture is us with our shields as a church coming together, that we bring our shields of faith together to protect one another, to extinguish any of those flaming darts that are coming to us by the evil one, that we have an eye out for one another to be able to like brush off that flame, to brush off that arrow from one another. Being together as a church matters. It matters to our faith. It matters to be present with one another. That if a brother or a sister falls, that we are there, if they drop their shield to lend them coverage, to bring them back into the group. You're here already. Thank you for your shield. And I think my concern is more for those who are still not here yet, that they're still watching online or, or catching up later on or, or whatever the convenience may be in, instead of coming to church, that we need you. We need you. We need you to come and to, to bond with us, to, to hold our shields together. And it's this picture of, of fellowship, a picture of bearing one another's burdens, all of us together with faith in Christ. It's about being in Christ together. Now, peace in Christ isn't about being absent from the spiritual battle. It's that we experience the peace of Christ in the battle together, that we are still going to experience suffering, pain, fear, doubt, anxiety, disappointment, mistrust, all of those negative feelings in life, we will experience. But we experience them in Christ, having the peace of Christ, even in the midst of those battles. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. Now, this helmet was made of metal, usually iron or bronze, and so pretty heavy, and it definitely protected your head. But to make it wearable, they put in like sponge or some sort of cloth or whatever inside. So protecting the physical head, but protecting your mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So often, it is our mind that gets attacked by the evil one. Right? Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is our minds that often get attacked with fear, guilt, shame, doubt. We always have to bring the helmet into battle. 
Jesus Christ died for you, and if you believe that, you are saved. You know that. And you need to protect your mind with that truth, with that promise, that that salvation cannot be taken from you. Ban the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, you can't use what you don't have. If you don't have a sword, you can't use a sword. Right? So you and I have to know our Bibles in order to use it. And if you don't know it, you can't use it. So that no Bible, no sword of the Spirit. It's, it's that simple. You, you have nothing to fight back with. You have all this armor, but you have nothing to fight back with. Psalm 119, verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We store it up. We know it. So that when we are attacked by Satan, we respond like Jesus did when temptations hit him while in the desert. Right? Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, verse 18. And this is the final part to this armor and this weaponry. And this is what Paul did. This is what Jesus did. They prayed because they got accused just as we are going to be accused by the evil one. You are going to be accused of being a terrible husband, of being a terrible wife, of being a terrible father, mother, child, worker, manager. You're going to be accused of all these different things. Sometimes it's true, and when it is, repent. Get better. Ask God to be with you. Other times, that is the accuser that is lying to you because you are a good father and a mother. You are a good spouse. You are a good child. You are a good worker. And when it is false, then it's false. Deal with the truth. And we have this Savior who is greater than this accuser who is whispering things that are lies into your mind. A Savior who saved you, who saves you, and will save you. Because it's not done yet until the return of Christ. Because we're in this spiritual war. And this war is not easily won. This war is unrelenting. And our victor is Christ. Our victory is only in Christ. He's, he's already told us who is our enemy. And, and to put on the armor and to stand. To be alert. To be ready. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we move into this next season of looking into your word in Ephesians 6 and we're looking at spiritual warfare, I ask, Lord, that you would give us the ability to confidently live in you, to know your truths, to know your promises. God, we ask that you would Help us live lives honoring to you within those relationships of ours that are most dear and important, whether that is marriage, whether that is family, whether that is work that Paul wrote about in chapter 5 and, and coming to this section in chapter 6, finally, and how to practically apply and to fight and to resist. So Lord, I pray for your 
strengthening, your encouragement to fight a good fight, to not give up, to not run, but to stand in you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your communion elements, let's uh, take those out together and have communion together. You can just raise your hand if you don't have that. We'll start with the wafer symbolizing the broken body of Christ. Broken for you and I, taking on that sin of the world upon himself, that the wages of sin is death, and he paid that price for us. Let's take this together. The fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ spilled for us. Let's take this together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. This tangible symbol that we take regularly and consistently reminding us of your love. Reminding us that there is a promise yet to be fulfilled in you, that you are returning for us to make all things right. In the meantime, Lord, we do have these challenges in our life. We have these difficulties. We have all these things that we're dealing with that we, we see in our most important relationships that they're under attack. And so we ask, Lord, for humility. We ask for the ability to ask for forgiveness. Lord, help us to live here as it is in heaven, that there is a restoration and reconciliation available in you. Help us to stand firm against the enemy in Jesus' name.